Tell me, Doctor, from your reading of my wife's pulse, do you think she can be cured? If the heart is generating fire, the symptoms should be irregularity of the menses and insomnia. A deficiency of blood and blockage of humour in the liver would result in pain and congestion under the ribs, delay of the menses beyond their term, and burning sensations in the heart. A deficiency of humour in the lungs would give rise to sudden attacks of giddiness, sweating at five or six in the morning, and a sinking feeling, rather like the feeling you get in a pitching boat. And if the earth of the spleen is being subdued by the wood of the liver, she would undoubtedly experience loss of appetite, lassitude, and general enfeeblement of the whole body. If my reading of the lady's pulse is correct, she ought to be showing all these symptoms. Some people would tell you they indicated a pregnancy, but I am afraid I should have to disagree. back everybody this is rereading the stone i'm your host kevin wilson joined by my co-host william jones will how's it going today uh i have a little bit of a sore throat unfortunately so uh i'm gonna be sounding quite gruff throughout this episode <laughs> as opposed to my usual dulcet tones so we're on chapter 10 right now we're deep into this um i'm pretty excited there's a lot to talk about we're going to try to review uh, some of the characters, um, some things we've uh, talked about in the past, and we're going to maybe try to foreshadow some really important events about to, about to transpire. Uh, so in this chapter, uh, Joki Jin, who we saw from the last chapter, he tells his mother about what happened at school, and she in turn tells her sister-in-law, Mrs. Huang, who's you know, uh, who's married to one of the members of the Jia clan. And Mr. Swan gets very indignant about the way that her nephew has been treated. And she thinks it's not fair. So she gets all in a rage and she rushes off to speak to Yu Shi, who is one of the kind of most important women in the Ningguo branch of the Jia clan. But while she's there, uh, Yu Shi starts telling her about Qin Shi, who's another one of the women of the Jia clan, who, if you recall... Was uh, it was her bedroom that uh, Jia Baoyu slept in when he had his like you know great sexual awakening dream in chapter five, and she is the older sister of Qin Zhong, who is uh, Jia Baoyu's new best friend. So Yu Shi tells Mrs. Huang that uh, Qin Shi is suffering from mysterious illness that shows some of the symptoms of pregnancy, but but she's not pregnant, and no one can work it out. And so much of this chapter is devoted to trying to work out what the symptoms of this illness mean, you know, what, what, it, what it is that she's suffering from. Uh, and they're visited by a great doctor 
Dr. Zhang, who kind of reviews her symptoms, takes her pulse, uh, and offers a cure. Uh, and that's pretty much where we leave it with, uh, funnily enough, the full ingredients list for this particular tradition. Uh, cure. <laughs> and we could talk about that maybe a little bit, hopefully not too long. And so, yeah, this chapter, we're really getting a, a more in-depth uh, appreciation for the Ning branch of the Jack Lan, right? And so some of these characters are maybe a little bit less familiar to us, and we have to review some of the, the things that have already been said about them to really get an appreciation for what's happening here. Um, so this is definitely the kind of chapter where you got to review your family tree and, and really consider the relations. Just for just as a reminder, the Jia clan has these two main, these two big branches: the Rongguo branch and the Ningguo branch. And we focus much more on the former, on the Rongguo branch, which is the branch to which our protagonist Jia Baoyu belongs. But many of the other characters that we come across, such as Lady Wang or Wang Xifeng, and indeed grandmother grandmother Jia uh, Jia Mu. So we're aware of this other branch, the, the Ningguo branch, and we've had some dealings with them, but they've been very much secondary uh, to the story so far. Maybe the uh, chapter seven is a chapter where we got our trip, you know, across the main, the main street that separates the two branches. So basically yeah. they have these uh, large compounds uh, that are uh, separated by one long straight road down the center mm-hmm. um and so in chapter seven after the exchange of artificial flowers uh wang Shifeng and jia baoyu made a trip over to the uh the, the ning side of of the clan also yeah. chapter five the the dream also took place on in the ning side in ching yep. ching's bedroom uh, and and yep. Chinka Ching is very much the central focus of this chapter. Yeah. And so just for just for explanation, the the character officially known as Qin Shi in the in the book, we also know as Qin Ke Qing. Uh, yeah. And that's that's so it's the same it's the same person. And so she's married to Jarong. Yep. Um, who is the son of Jia Zhen. Uh, who is himself the son of Jia Jing. And so we've talked about all these characters in the past, and they all come up again in this chapter, and we're going to review a lot of this. Because I I think one of the big challenges with this novel is a lot of people are intimidated by the the extent of the the lineages involved. Yeah, and I guess also, you know, for even for people familiar with, with Chinese... Being able to distinguish between all the characters' names is quite difficult, you know. So, so the fact that, I guess, the fact that the the surname comes first means that there is a really bafflingly large number of people who all seem to have the name Jia. So it's Jia somebody, you know, Jia Zhen, Jia Jing. It can definitely be uh, quite difficult to keep track. So the first section of this chapter is pretty straightforward, right? It's just a brief exchange between Joki Jin, Jin Rong. That is, uh, and his his mother. A brief exchange, but highly revealing, I think. Right. Yeah. So he, you know, he he was forced to apologize to Jia Baoyu and Xin Zhong, uh, and the form of his apology was 
what we call kowtow in English, you know, the kneeling and tapping your head against the floor as a sign of contrition, mm. which is a, a relatively kind of debasing form of apology because it has this physical indication of inferiority or, or subservience in the gesture. Mm. Or, or submission, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And he is furious about this, it seems. Um, and so he's doing a lot of kind of storming around, grumbling about it. Yes, grumbling. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, and so, what's his mother's? What's his mother's response to that? She hears him grumbling, and, and she will have nothing of it, basically. Yeah. Um, and so, there's a really, there's a really revealing passage that shows the extent of her knowledge of what's been going on at the school, not only in terms of you know the altercation, but also the. In the last uh, podcast, we discussed the uh, kind of illicit character of Shuipan, yeah. uh, his interaction with the school, where he's he's an older teenager, let's say, who is basically preying on the younger students yeah. and more or less buying uh, sexual access. And we yeah. learn here that... Uh, well, let's see what his mother knows. So here, here's a quote from the Hawks translation. Um, his mother, uh, Widow Jin, uh, overheard his muttering. And so she's a widow, which is, I think is important for the, the sociological profile. Uh, she says, what have you been getting up to this time? She asked. Look at the job we had getting you into that school. All the talks I had with your aunt and the trouble she went to to see Mrs. Lian about it. Suppose we hadn't had their help in getting you there. We could never have afforded a tutor. What's more, you get free tea and free dinners there, don't you? This has meant a big saving for us during the two years you've been there. And you're glad enough to have something decent to wear out of the money saved, aren't you? And another thing, if you hadn't been going to that school, how would you have ever met that Mr. Shre of yours? Between 70 and 80 tales of silver we've had out of him during the last year. I can tell you this, my boy. If you get yourself thrown out of there, you needn't think you can get in anywhere else. And, and so Joki Jin uh, felt admonished. He yeah. swallowed his anger and fell silent. Yeah. Um, so she knows about the arrangement, so to speak. Yeah. And she relies on it. This uh, section definitely did not sit well with me, um, but I, I was glad to see it in the sense that, you know, this is what you demand of realist fiction. You want you want it to be uncensored. You want to know exactly how the society is working. And so now we're, we're getting a we're getting a taste of it for sure. Yeah, it's very unflinching, isn't it? Like it's it's um, as you say, it's pretty grim. Like his mum telling him off, saying, you know, you should be grateful that you get to go to this school where you get uh, groomed by sexual predators because it means that we get money. Yeah, but like at the same time, I do find it very believable. You know, it doesn't seem far-fetched. You know what character this reminds me of? It almost reminds me of, from The Simpsons, uh, Nelson Muntz, the, the yeah. school bully. Yeah. Who, if you think about it, he's also, um, his mother, his father is, is absent. We never, we never find out what happened to him. Yeah. Uh, so his mother is also single you know, of lower socioeconomic standing, at least compared to Bart Simpson, right? In I guess in The Simpsons, the it's the mother who is said to, at various points, it's alluded to she might be a stripper. And so the the sexual labor uh, falls on her shoulders. Yeah. Uh, 
certainly not on Nelson's shoulders. But again, it's the same the same kind of bully uh, psychology has emerged, right? And so, like Nelson Muntz is the jokey Nelson, if you will. Yeah. If that maybe that connection didn't occur to you? No, it didn't. It didn't. But I can definitely see it. What did you think the significance of her being a widow is? You mentioned it as you as you as you read through. Right. Right. I, I mean, that would definitely lend itself toward greater economic precarity, right? And so that's probably uh, accentuated by the fact that so many of these, maybe uh, the rest of the Jack clan are, you know, Jokey Jin might be the, you know, the least wealthy member of the school. In some ways, he's yeah. probably yeah. comparable to uh, Chin Jong, Chinka Ching's brother, uh, Jabao Yu's yeah, friend. Yeah, Absolutely. And and Joki Jin himself, when he's when he's grumbling, he makes the same comparison, right? He he, and 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 then Mrs. Huang, his aunt, does the same thing later. You know, it's kind of who does he think he is? He he is also he holds the same status relative to the Jia clan that Joki Jin does, not related by blood, and only tangentially related by marriage. This is very relatable. Kids tend to be extremely conscious of wealth and you know income inequality if you want uh even if they measure it indirectly through uh the quality of your clothing or the size of your house or what have you especially i guess in a kind of in a private school environment which which we've analogized this to uh previously so that's but that's basically all we hear about uh, Joki Jin for now. And so the rest of the chapter, it's a series of events leading to the Ning household and the the, the state of health of Chinka Ching. So do you want to, do you have a good sense for the uh, sequence of events that leads us there? Well, sure, sure. So so as you mentioned, Joki Jin is only very kind of tangentially related to uh, the Jia clan. So we have a guy called Jia Huang, right? Who is who is a blood, you know, a male member of the Jia clan through blood, uh, and he is married to a woman called who we know as Mrs. Huang, uh, and then her sister-in-law, so not even her blood sister, but her brother's wife is uh, Widow Jin, the mother of uh, Joki Jin. So you can see it's quite a, a, a kind of distant link. But anyway, Widow, Widow Jin and Mrs. Huang are, are talking. And yeah, Mrs. Huang, you know, she she hears about the story. She goes off to talk to, to you know, kind of complain. And so basically one day, my sense is that uh, Widow Jin didn't necessarily mean to uh spill the beans about the affair at school but it sort of happened um and she gave a full account uh and this really angers uh uh mrs mrs huang and so she charges off to have it out with um with Shi, um one of the yeah important women of the of the ning branch of the jia clan um, so yeah you know. sure is the the wife of Jia Jen, who is sometimes in the text referred to as Cousin Jen. Um, and his son is Jia Rong. 
and he's married to Chinka Cheng, who is, uh, you know, the the infamous or, or the legendary bed on which Jia Baoyu learned the secrets of love and lust and hopefully overcoming them, right? So she marches over there full of piss and vinegar, we might say, ready to, ready to raise hell. And, you know, there, there's quite a good bit in the Hawks translation when she finds out about what happened at school the previous day. So she says, That little beast, Chin Zhong, said Mrs. Huang, he may be related to the jazz by marriage, but then so is your boy. What business has he to go throwing his weight about like that, I should like to know, especially after the disgusting things he'd been doing himself, considering what he'd been up to. Even Baoyu ought, ought not to have sided with him to that extent. Let me go and see Mrs. Jun about this. So, you know, she, she is uh, indignant and she's got a kind of righteous anger, but that is very quickly deflated, as we see. Yeah, she calls him, she calls him Zhajong, like a bastard or a mixed, a mixed breed or something. Uh, I'm not sure if that was an intentional, uh, like a play on words, like you think you're yeah. Chinjong, you're Zhajong. <laughs> I, I, I think so, sure I think so, because it, it, because it comes in very quick succession on his name so the chinese is it's like the yeah i think it's absolutely a a, um she's playing on his name but then yeah so she charges off to speak to yo shu to complain but we discover that uh she's very preoccupied with uh as you said illness which is this for me is very kind of reminiscent of uh a lot of classical english literature you know, English literature for the 19th century especially is just chock full of people suffering from mysterious diseases and nobody really knows what they are or what the cure is. Um, <laughs> there's a bit more of an advanced medicine system in, you know, the traditional Chinese medicine is much, much more kind of advanced and complex. But it, it always kind of made me laugh that in, you know, classical English literature, there were really only ever two cures for disease. One is um, gin. You know, normally if you're, you know, caught by an attack of hysteria or the tremors or, or, or whatever, someone would give you gin and that would sort you out. Uh, and if it's a more chronic illness, then, and, you know, gin won't cut it, then, or rum, sometimes it was rum. But if it's a more chronic illness, then you have to go to Switzerland and take the waters. And these are the only two cures ever mentioned. You know, it's either short term, bit of alcohol, or long term, go and bathe in a spa and like kind of relax and, and you know hopefully your health will improve that way but as we'll see there is there is this more uh detailed form of cure here and and sort of more detailed conception of um how the human body works um but we we don't really know exactly what's wrong with with qin shu do you have any idea from a modern perspective what it might be um well th- this goes into the question of what's happening, you know, behind the scenes. And we discussed a little bit in the past how the fate of Chinka Ching, of, of Chin Shi, is ambiguous. And it actually seems to vary based on different versions of the text and um, a sense that a lot of this, because it maybe was too close to reality, it had to be yeah. uh, censored in a way. And the fact that this, there is this undercurrent, I think it produces a really interesting effect where 
it's almost like there's the text and then there's a the reality behind the text, which itself appears indirectly in, in all these symbols that we, we've been trying to sort through and analyze. And so maybe we should go back and well, before I talk about that, I, I did want to just kind of relay an impression I had that it really is sort of depressing the, the prominence the doctors play, these various medications play in the story. At the same time that maybe this is why it's depressing, it is in many ways very relatable. And even the doctors who by our standards are like, they seem very much to be quacks. What they're doing isn't that divorced from what present day doctors do when you see them. So we'll see later when they take the pulse. I mean, the explanation that follows is obviously not closely related to modern medical knowledge or or the language associated with that, um, th those practices. At the same time, it's not that far off. It, it really makes me wonder, in, in some ways, how much, how much we haven't progressed, or how much we still need to progress. Right medicine, yeah, of course, yeah. In order to like really understand the body and and the mind and and their interconnections, mm -hmm. I, I want to talk a little bit about. Okay, so what do we know? In my, in my notes, I have like in bold, uh, Chinkaching review. So what do we know about Chinkaching? So we know that it was her bed that Jabao Yu uh, had his remarkable dream that we dedicated three or four episodes to. We also remember from that dream uh, that she, you know, she appears in the dream. Yeah. She takes him to meet the fairy disenchantment. And at one point in time, uh, the fairy disenchantment refers to her as refers to Chinka Ching as her younger sister. And that's, that's one kind of really important detail. I was also thinking, and this is actually something we didn't talk about on the episodes dedicated to chapter five, the, the dream chapter, that at the end, when there is the scary moment where there, it seems like they're crossing the river Styx and there's a great danger, these monsters appear and they seem almost to be trying to um, pull Jabba Yu down. I want to go back and see whether they were also pulling uh, Chinka Ching down as well. You know, is this, was that moment a, some kind of premonition of a kind of impending doom? Yeah, dragging down into hell kind of um, thing. We also have another, a very brief but very important reference to Chinka Ching, a cryptic reference in Chapter 7. So we remember Chapter 7, uh, it was, you know, part, part water part mud you know and at the end during the really muddy section as it were there was the foul mouthed uh big big gel and he was drunk and he uh was berating everybody up to including cousin jen or jia jen the father of jarong and, yeah. and by implication the father-in-law of yeah, jiao da. yeah and we will remember uh big Zhao's comment he has this really uh foul remark where he says who would ever have believed the old master mm -hmm. could spawn this filthy lot of animals so the old master is uh jia jing mm -hmm. so the uh the father of jarong and so um big jiao goes on up to their dirty tricks every day i know father-in-law yeah. jia pokes in the ashes auntie has it off with nevi do you think i don't know what you're yeah. all up to Oh, we hide our broken arm in the sleeve, but you don't fool me. And so this this idea of father-in-law, of Jia Jen, poking in the ashes, that seems to be a reference to something illicit going on between him and Chinka Ching. 
And so mm-hmm. when we talk about why Chinkaching, we're going to find out is extremely sensitive, uh, why she's feeling ill, you have to wonder whether um, this hidden relationship, yeah. Yeah, or absolutely. this hidden interaction, we're not sure whether it's consensual or not, right, is affecting her health. Whether the, you know, the uh, medical condition is actually a form of appearance of a psychic discomfort. And so that's kind of my interpretation. I think that's fairly that's a fairly standard interpretation among at least a set of commentators. And so we also know about Chinkaching from the poem. We talked a little oh, bit about uh, yeah. you know the idea that uh, the relationship between Chin and Ching, you know, love with was her sea, her sky. Yeah. Say not our troubles all from wrong side came. For their beginning, Ning must take the blame. So again, that's. Uh, suggesting that something's a something's amiss in the Ning branch that we have visited today in this chapter. I believe we also in the mm. chapter five episode, we also discussed the painting associated with the poem. And this is a painting of a beautiful maiden hanging from uh, a beam atop a large building. A Gao Lo, the same uh the same low as in Hong Lo Meng, uh a dream of the red chamber. And so this is what's interesting here is this is the the fate that doesn't appear in the published version of this. Mm-hmm. And so we see the inconsistency yep. has been retained, whether due to poor editing or due to intentional authorial device. It's kind of hard to say, right? But uh, the fact that it is so um, indeterminate, I said this before, but this gives it a even more of a mystery where it seems as if the, the work itself has surpassed yeah. uh, authorial Changes control. due to, due to, you know, it's taken on a life of, of its own. And I, I think that's basically a good review of what we know so far about this character. But I, I think going over some of these details makes this chapter a little more interesting than it would be because the chapter is uniquely realistic. I, I would say yeah. There seems to be very little by way of illusory elements. I would say even the symbolism is more muted than usual. Okay, so so what do we learn about the illness? Um it's like a a tired listlessness. Uh she hasn't been getting she hasn't been getting her period, but she's not pregnant. It's like the life has just kind of gone out of her. And that definitely does kind of support the the suggestion you mentioned of this being in some way spiritual, linked to her uh, affair with her father-in-law. There was one there was one bit in the passage that I think is just interesting, just as a very evocative piece of language. So Yo Shi is describing Qin Shi, i.e. Qin Ke Qing's symptoms. And she says in the English, it pierces me to the heart when she's talking about... Um, you know how 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 difficult it is to see her you know suffering like this the chinese original is 我心里如同挣扎的一般. so my heart is like a pincushion so i i i just i noticed that as i was reading it it's it's even more evocative you know as as a description of the the kind of uh pain that you're feeling on somebody else's behalf it's um multiple pins all stabbing you in the heart Anyway, we, we, we learned that Yao Shi has told uh, Qin Ke Qing, you know, don't put yourself out. 
just rest up, don't worry about anything. I'll take care of it. If any visitors come, I will, you know, I'll make sure to receive them and deal with any of it. You just focus on getting better, all of that kind of thing. But because Qin Shi is such a, a kind of empathetic character, she's constantly worrying about others. And as a result, it's not doing her health any good. Uh, and one such person that she's worried about is her brother, Qin Zhong, who has told her the story of what happened in school the previous day. And it's naturally completely put her in a, you know, put her in a foul mood, put her right out of, out of, you know, put her nose out of joint. And so, although the two, although Yoshi and Mrs. Huang never get around to talking about the incident at school, you can see before she's even had a chance to get on, before Mrs. Huang has even had a chance to get onto it, Yoshi has already preempted her with, with kind of her, her side of the story, as it were. Mm. And so at this point, uh, I mean, she was also, uh, uh, Auntie Huang was also effectively invited over for dinner, I believe. Yes. Yeah, I did want to, I wanted to talk about that because it's so interesting as a piece of, uh, just as an observation of what, like, Chinese high society is like at the time. Mm. Um, because, because, yeah, Yul Shi is talking with Mrs. Huang, and during the conversation, Jia Zhen walks through the the room and in passing invites uh, Mrs. Huang to dinner. But what's interesting to me about it is that it's so extraordinarily dismissive, the way that he talks. Ah. So, I mean, what he does is he kind of drifts through the room. He he speaks directly to his, to his wife, to Yul Shi, and then passes on into another room. So he basically doesn't break stride as he walks through the room. He doesn't stop to talk. He enters, he says something to her as he goes, and then he kind of continues on his way. Um, <laughs> so you've got, the, you've got the, the English here. So while they were talking, Cousin Jun came in from outside. Isn't this Cousin Huang's wife? He asked Yoshu, catching sight of the visitor. Mrs. Huang dropped him a curtsy and a how do you do? You must ask our cousin to dinner, he said, going on into the room beyond. So you can imagine he's just breezing through, like not even really kind of paying any attention. Um, and, you know, I think it's it's interesting also that he addresses his comments directly to Yolshu. He doesn't actually directly address uh, Mrs. Huang or, you know, give her really kind of any acknowledgement whatsoever. Mm. Maybe it reminds me of like a scene from Parasite or something where, yeah, there is this yeah. uh, ease with, with which wealthy elites are accustomed to... Um, dealing with people objectively in the third person uh, at, a, at a distance yeah, yeah without emotion without uh, the usual kind of reactions that <laughs> ordinary people yeah, uh, are accustomed to and so this is the moment where we get a sense we, we learn a little bit more about uh, the happenings of the grandfather the father of Jiajin Jiajing and so we learned the first time we heard about Jiajing was in chapter two, when Jia Yutun and Lung Zixing were talking about, and Lung Zixing was giving his synopsis of the state of the Jia clan. Uh, and so I, I actually have a, a quote prepared from chapter two for review, which I think was going to really help us a lot. So it says, and so this is Lung Zixing talking back in chapter two. He says, 
The Duke of Ningguo and the Duke of Rongguo were two brothers by the same mother. Ningguo was the elder of the two. When he died, his eldest son, Jia Daihua, inherited his post. Jia Daihua had two sons. The elder, Jia Fu, died at the age of eight or nine, leaving only his second son, Jia Jing, to inherit. Nowadays, so this is the Jia Jing is who we're talking about. Nowadays, Jia Jing's only interest in life is Taoism. He spends all his time over retorts and crucibles concocting elixirs and refuses to be bothered with anything else. Fortunately, he had already provided himself with a son, Jia Jen, long before he took up this hobby. So, having set his mind on turning himself into an immortal, he's given up his post in favor of this son. And what's more, he refuses outright to live at home and he spends his time fooling around with a pack of Taoists somewhere outside the city walls. This Jia Jen has a son of his own, a lad named Jia Rong, just turned 16. With old Jia Jing out of the way and refusing to exercise any authority, Jia Jen has thrown his responsibilities to the winds and given himself up to a life of pleasure. He has turned that Ningguo mansion upside down, but there is no one around who dares gainsay him. And so now maybe we see a little bit of the truth of this statement where yeah. Jia Jen is very much in charge he does have a, let's say, a lackadaisical attitude. Uh, he is sort of aloof. And, you know, the, the mansion is indeed upside down because we see potentially his involvement in, uh, right? So retrospectively, this passage has a different connotation, I think, than when we first encountered it. Mm. Usually a life of pleasure... We almost imagine something uh, solipsistic, something self-contained. But, you know, this life of pleasure is very much implicating other people, perhaps to deadly effect. 